How do I say your name? Oh, yeah, it's uh, Kayvon. Kayvon. Kayvon Zamanian. Yeah. Zamanian. I have probably five minutes of audio of me going through every different variation of how to say your name. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Testing, testing, testing. So today we're talking to... Carvon. Carvon Zemamine. Carvon Zemamine. Today I'm talking to Carvon. Carvon Samaman. Carvon Samamine. Carvon. Carvon Z. Come on, Z. Come on, Z. One, two, three, A, B, C. So today we are going to Arkansas, which is Carvon. Zamanamin? Carvon Zamanamin? I don't know. Carvon Wilborough? Carvon Zamanam. Carvon Zaman. Zamanin? Carvon Manamana. 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 I don't know how to say that. I am going to give up. This podcast is dead. Today, I'm talking to a man that needs no fancy podcast introductions. I've been a long-time fan of Kayvon. If you don't know his videos and his films, check out his YouTube channel, which is Red Dirt Motion. And he also has a second channel that does the Longboarding Exposed videos. So go to YouTube, search for Longboarding Exposed if you want to see how the other half live, and we talk about everything in this interview. There's a new Cave One video coming out about the European trip that they did this year, so we talk a lot about that. We talk about raw runs, hills, mountains around the world that you want to skate, and he has. We talk about Europe, camera setups, how to do the perfect raw run or follow run. Everything's there. Everything from his camera setups, how he films, his filters. I try and get into everything. And I hope you enjoy this one. We have Kayvon Zamanian. Did I say that right? That's actually closer to the... Um, original like Iranian pronunciation, which is I guess different than here we say Zamanian over there. It's like Zamanian, so, so I don't know. Kayvon Z, it's fine, really. Kayvon yeah. Z, which is you normally go for. Yeah, I mean, for like if it's at the end of a video or something, I'll put that because it's a little bit more brief than the uh, the full name, which consumes pretty much the entirety of the screen. So I try to abbreviate it a bit. And uh, you're in Arkansas right now? That I am, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Is that where you were born or raised, or is that just where you're living now? Uh, That's where I'm living now. I was born and raised in um, the suburbs around Dallas, Texas. And uh, about a year ago, I, I moved out here. Right. And we've been, we've been chatting on Messenger for a while and finally lined up a a phone call it's been a it's been an interesting uh, backwards and forwards i didn't think it was going to happen 
Yep. Well, I guess it uh, it was meant to be. It came together. (laughs) So, I think, uh, well, I have to start with the question that I ask everyone. What was your first skateboard? Uh, First skateboard, well, first ever skateboard was some kind of Walmart board I had when I was very, very little. I mean, you know, barely rolled, and uh, I pretty much boarded it a little bit at the beginning. But first real skateboard was, uh, let's see, early high school, a, a buddy of mine gave me a, a just thrashed, horrifically razor-tailed Zoo York board. Uh, and, yeah, I had to skate it backwards to even be able to pop it, but it was the first one. It was free, so. So you started on a double kick? Yeah, actually. Um, I started out just like, you know, street skateboarding and stuff. And then made my what? way to... When did the speed come in? Sorry, oh, the speed? Um, I mean, I got, you know, my first longboard in like 2011, I guess, around right before I graduated high school, actually. And I uh, just kind of stumbled into it from there. What was that board? Oh, that was a, a Lanyots 925. Wow. Big, uh, it was a business suit. You know, classic. But you had like uh, Grizzlies on it and maybe some Hogs? I had Randall 180s and some yellow Durians or anything, yeah. Okay. That's an interesting setup. So you're more into sliding then, do you think? Or that was just Yeah, the... that's Yeah, that's pretty much where I started, just you know, doing a mix of some basic hands down, you know, and stand up like mostly one eighties and stuff, but yeah, pretty basic free riding kind of stuff. So you everyone probably knows you from your YouTube videos. Your filmmaking. When did the filmmaking start? Have you always been a filmmaker, or pretty much as long as I've been, you know, skating, I've been making videos of it to some extent. Uh, I started out, you know, with just a, a basic little home camcorder, I guess, like it does for many people. But yeah, pretty much right off off the bat, felt the need to document it. I guess. And you, that's you, that's your job now. Um, not within skateboarding. Not with, no. Yeah, not within skateboarding, but are you a digital media person? Are you a, like a filmmaker? Like what is uh, so cavonz.com? What I do is, okay, yeah, that's uh, I'm a motion graphics artist, so um, okay. I do video editing as well, but mostly just pro, uh, post-production for, you know, uh, any kind of video, but primarily uh, just animated, graphics-driven, Adobe After Effects kind of stuff, which is something I picked up, you know, on my own. I was doing it for fun and making skate videos and stuff. So, did you go to um, college to learn some of this stuff? Did you go to college or uni or? Yeah, so um, I studied video production at um, North Texas and didn't really, you know, teach me anything of real value in terms of motion graphics or, or editing or um, it was more broadcast focused but um, I kind of just did this on the side as freelance work in, in school or while I was in school and then um, slowly became full time and why 
go out on your own? Why form your own company? Um, well, I, I'm not like formed, you know, as an LLC right now or anything. I'm just kind of a freelancer. But um, I did work at an agency for close to a year, which, um, you know, unfortunately the, the agency ended up shutting down, which kind of thrust me into a freelance world, which I'd already, you know, dabbled in before. But um, more than anything, it's the schedule freedom right now um, in terms of just being able to, you know, on a skate trip or whatever it may be whenever I need to. Um, freelance gives me a little bit of freedom in that regard and a little bit more diversity of work too you know it's not not repetitive content like you might see at a at any kind of agency like the one I was at before and how do you find your customers or do they find Um, you it's a combination of you know networking with existing clients or friends or whatever it may be and um, I use a hiring agency that um, they take a cut of jobs that they find that they think would fit my, my skill set and then they can be set up from there. Right. Is this something you want to do long term or is this just in between? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd eventually like to, you know, just develop this into my own company that I could just run at a larger scale than just simply freelancing on my own right now. But um, I think I need to dedicate a little bit more time than I am right now to really actively make that happen. Mm. And do you think it's like being a freelancer and learning about it that's helped your filmmaking in like the skate world? Or do you think it's like two separate things? Um, yeah, I mean my skills kind of apply both ways. Like um being you know, proficient in a program like After Effects allows me to do fun little things when I'm editing a skate video together, so it kinda it goes hand in hand, and you know, um, it's a little bit more rewarding to learn things that are, you know, not just for work. So that's nice. Yeah, I mean, probably the videos were the first video that put you sort of front and center in front of everyone was the uh, longboard games videos. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, how, that was... how long did it take to do those? Like, were they um, just labor of loves? Not, I mean, they didn't take an enormous amount of time. I remember I made a few of them, and the very first one I made, I did in basically like a night. Um, I just kind of, I don't know, had that idea in my head and thought it'd be a fun gimmick to put together and just kind of, but the first one was fairly simple, you know, didn't have a lot going on, but um, I mean, there were a decent few hours put into those things, particularly towards the the latter ones that I did where there are just too many things going on. I mean, it, the time flies by, you know, I'm doing it for fun, so. Yeah. Did, did you just run out of ideas or just moved on to something else? I mean, it's just there was only so much, you know, to be brought about without that one gimmick. It was it was fun to do, but um, I don't necessarily see a future competitive content for like that. There's been a couple of other filmmakers that have, that have done similar sort of things, haven't they? Like, yeah, um, and I know people had... You know, Yvonne did one. Oh, yeah. I, I might have seen that one. I know there were a few in the in the downhill community and, you know, elsewhere as well for other sports or whatever it was. But, um, 
Yeah, it's funny to see what kind of clever ideas people come with to translate something like that into what you would see in a video game. Yeah. Have you ever got any work, like business work, out of like skate videos you've done? Well, it's hard to no, say. I'm not hard to typically. Know. Yeah, not specifically skate videos. Um, through you know skate, you know just people and networking through the community. Yeah, and you know, presumably through that, you know, they might have rec- recommended me because of my. Excuse me, my cat's jumping up here. Um, because of my skate videos, but. Um, yeah, there hasn't been, you know, a moment where anybody has seen a video, commented on it, and said, like, we want to hire you. I guess it's pretty specific. Have you, type do- of video for that, have you done any commercial skate videos? Like, have any brands reached out and said, hey, make us a video? Or is it they would expect you to work below your uh, commercial price? I've never had anybody approach me like that, you know. I mean, when I was, like, early on, I would make videos and sponsors would, or whoever might be in the video, would, you know, maybe want to shout out in that, but that's certainly not commercial work. And um, I know that, you know, that does happen out there, but I haven't run into any of it. I notice on your videos, you can correct me if you're wrong, but most of them or all of them, the ones that I've seen, I can't remember... Any shout-outs to any brands or in, in the um, not for, Yeah, not for quite a while. I kind of try to – this is, you know, sort of a passion project and just something I do for fun on the side. I kind of just there, – there are, you know, not a ton of restrictions with working with a brand, and often that can provide you with extra opportunities. But um, in the case of most of my videos where I'm kind of capturing, you know, skating with my friends, then – nice to be able to just put everybody in a video together not worry about whether they're on the same or whatever it may be also i guess you stray the line of legal issues when um you know you're trying to upload to youtube or you know whatever platform and you're using you know copyrighted music or something along those lines that you know it gets a little iffy in terms of showing a you know, a product logo at the end in terms of whether or not the video can count as an ad, in which case it's, you know, violating copyright law, which I try to avoid. I want my videos to stay up. Yeah. You have used, like, commercial music in the past. Do they just get, like, defunded, but they stay up? Yeah. Um, and that's usually the case, even if you do have, like, a logo at the end of it or something, like, they're probably not going to investigate it that far because you just go, you know, pretty little viewed or these videos go little viewed in the scheme of YouTube. But um, in my case, I just, yeah, I look for ones that don't have strict, you know, usage terms on YouTube. Do you make any money out of your videos online, like through that YouTube AdSense or the YouTube advertising? Is there any money there? No. No, I don't believe I qualify because... Almost every one of my videos features a uh, copyrighted song that you know invalidates that possibility. If I used you know if I used royalty free music or no music at all, then maybe in theory I could make like you know a couple dollars here and there. But I mean, um, yeah, it's pretty negligible. Yeah, I talked to Crunchy about that once. We had a bit of a discussion, and it was a sensitive issue with him. Of course, he'd even created his own music for a video and it got like copyright dinged 
<laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I know. So it's. I think he just gave up at that point. Just went, you know, I'm just going to do the music I want. Yeah, I mean, that's what it kind of comes down to at the end of the day, I suppose, is whether it's worth sacrificing, you know, what you'd like to do with a video for possibility of a little financial conversation, which in the case of, like, Crunchy, you know, he's a, a very large channel. I guess it's a, a big decision for him to make because there's, you know, definite potential something that for making the money. But um, it's cool to stick to, you know, whatever your vision it is, vision is for the content that you're putting out. Yeah, I know we had a, on the Hopkin YouTube channel, we had an agreement with YouTube where, well, we sort of monetized it because I just thought, oh, you know, if we make a couple of hundred bucks, we can flow it to skaters or, you know, do something with it. It never really amounted to anything. But I know we would get, like, young bands, unsigned bands, use their music, but then YouTube would say, oh, we're not monetizing it because you don't have a signed contract. You know, it just they, I think the paperwork and the hoops they were running us through just wasn't worth the trouble. Yeah, I mean, in, in cases like that, it worked out great. And um, sometimes you stumble across stuff that, you know, fit perfectly that's, you know, not on the map of YouTube. But, um, yeah, I guess it just So your music in your videos... Do you do you think it's changed over the years? You sort of are using more uh, yeah emotional music. Yeah, I mean, could say I've become a little bit more pretentious with it, so to speak. Um, I, I started out with you know more just like fun music, I guess, to jam to or whatever, and now I'm you know pulling up weird classical stuff that I think fits a run. So yeah, pretty different, I guess, than what I started out with. Is that something you're doing on purpose, like creating a mood with music or creating a... Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's kind of the goal anyway, especially with, you know, I mean, there's only so much you can can do, I guess, with like a montage style of, of editing for something like, like Downhill that I've done so far. But yeah, um, usually try to get some kind of mood going. And what what comes first, the music or the the run? Like the video um, or the music? I mean, the run does in terms of editing. There are certainly songs that I pull up and I just I like it, so I just hold on to it, you know, um, until I find a run that I think fits it or a video that fits it. And uh, yeah, it kind of it's just dependent on content of that run, um, who's skating, where it takes place, you know, how long it is. Um, where the beats of interest within that run are and like if they fit with, you know, more dynamic moments of whatever that song is. That makes sense. So you gave me a early edit of the European video you're working on. Is that uploaded yet? No. No. Um not currently. I'm not quite sure when it will be, but um no, not currently. So it felt like some of the music in that video, you'd almost timed the beats to some of the the carving or the the skater's movement. Is that something you do on purpose, or is that... I'm just imagining that. No, I mean, I, I definitely try to make the music work in tandem with, you know, what's happening on the screen. 
Um, I, I feel like if there's a disconnect between, you know, you know, slapping a song on a run and calling it a day, like that disconnect between the song and the video just kind of makes it less interesting. Um, ideally, you want whoever's watching it, whether they like the song or not, it's something to listen to at least. Um, I guess for them to be a little bit more visually stimulated by it, and that it corresponds with what's going on, it's a cohesive piece rather than just something that you can that'd be the same experience. And so, okay, I'm going to jump around a little bit. The your friends. So, who do you skate with? Like, you've got. I mean, with all these videos that you've been making, is there? a certain group of people or are these just your friends that you've grown up with? Uh, it kind of just depends. I mean, um, like it was a different people or a different group of people when I was living in Dallas. Um, that's who I mostly, you know, grew up skating with, but I lived in Oklahoma for a short period of time. So I have some friends from there who have since also relocated to Arkansas. Um, but currently it's just, it's mostly, um, there's a, a squad of Branson, Missouri boys who do the most skating in this region, as well as myself and a small handful of other Fayetteville skaters. And um, Kansas City has a few as well. And we all kind of converge in Arkansas, where where the better hills are. And yeah, there's about a dozen of us or so. But uh, so there's good, varies for videos. There's good hills in Arkansas. Yeah, um, there's actually a few really great runs out here that um, I've skated them longer than pretty much anything because it's where I used to come when I lived in Dallas as well. And um, I'd say it's most comparable to like a little mini pocket of North Carolina, like a few mellower North Carolina runs just um, up in the middle of Arkansas pretty much. Did you move because of the hills? Yeah, I mean, I, I had to get somewhere where I could skate semi-regularly. It used to be, you know, once a month or so I'd skate anything real or skate at all. So um, I had to had to get somewhere in Arkansas. It was an easy move, so went for it. And the people that – so when you moved to, like, Arkansas, did you – how did you uh, connect with new skaters or you already knew skaters in the area? Um, I, I knew these guys. That was part of why I made the move. Is um, this area like there's not that many of us, so um, I pretty much knew everybody who was still in the community over here. So as soon as I got here, I mean, I, I had friends who were local to Fayetteville, and then a few others who were also moving to Fayetteville. So it, it kind of just worked out as it tends to, I guess, in, in our community. And. Does this group of skaters have a name? Like, whose team broke off? Oh, that's North Carolina. Um, oh, that's North that's, Carolina. Uh, that's Matt McKeon and, and friends of kind of the Asheville area. But, um, I mean, over here we've got, um, like, Chase Hillers from out here. We've got, you know, Lars Troutline uh, and quite a lot of other boys. But those two have been... Are there any are there any skate brands in that area? Like any manufacturers or anything? A little bit going on out here, uh, company wise. There, you know, there were local skate shops, and some of which have been phased out. 
and then let me think. I know Stock at Longboards used to be based out of Oklahoma City back in the day, but I don't, I don't know if they're still around. Which uh, Oklahoma City is a couple hours away, but you know, in the region, I know that Springfield, Missouri, is where I believe Rojas Trucks and Braden Boards came from. And are there are many downhill skate shops in that area. No, there's, you know, um, in like kind of Midwest-ish region, there's, you know, maybe five, something like that. Does that make it hard? Like hard to get gear or? Yeah, just getting, like, it's you know, as a hard to get gear. I yeah. suppose it's with the internet, everything's accessible from anywhere, I suppose. Yeah, but I suppose there's something to be said about local shops bringing in new skaters mm. um i mean people just you know walking in and checking out a store could be you know sneakily hooked into downhill world and we could get a few more of us you know, showing up the session so it could be something that you know, we may cut on but i don't know I, I i don't notice it much i've never had a prominent downhill shop so <laughs> So you've got this group of friends, you're skating, you're making videos, and then you do a European tour once a year? Is that what you guys do? I mean, it's not really like a, a formality or anything. We, uh, you know, a, a few of us did it last year, like I guess three of us did it last year, and then um, this year there were seven of us piled into a van. Um but yeah, I don't know. I mean, it just kind of like I don't know if we're going to do it next year or not. It it just kind of comes up, and uh, the past couple of years, people have been down to do it. So I guess we'll just we'll see. Did you do any events, or is it just to free ride big hills? Uh, no, we followed the uh, IDF, you know, World Cup for the most part. Um, some of our boys were, you know, definitely trying to race, and so yeah, we did. Did you race? See. Yeah, um, I did Ozikov and Vulcan. How'd you go? Sorry? How did, how did you go at Kozakov? Oh, I did very poorly, but it was still fun, so I'm glad I got to do it. And was it just to, like, skate a fast big hill, or...? Like, why do an IDF event? I mean, my buddies were doing it. I thought it'd be worth, you know, trying it, just like seeing what it's like. I'm not, you know, a serious racer by any means. I wouldn't even call myself a racer. But, um, I don't know, it's still fun to race. Fun to just kind of see where you stand in qualifying and, and beyond um, on a track like that. See what, I guess, the standard is competitively. Whether you're, you know, up there or not, it's still just an interesting experience. Did you do any of the free rides this year, like K&K? Uh, we stopped by K&K for one day last year, and this year we didn't make it. We just kind of ended up roaming random passes a little bit more. So how much planning goes into a trip like that? Because, I mean, you found some amazing roads. How did you find those? Um, I mean, it's a, it's a combination of just talking to locals and just scouring, you know, findhills.com, Google Maps, and just 
fun and squiggles, as one does. I know there was a post this year from Switzerland saying, please talk to locals before you hit up our hills this year. Is that something that you do? Yeah, I mean, we we always try and, you know, reach out to, to people of, you know, any given country or region. I haven't really dabbled much in Switzerland, but um, I guess it's just general common courtesy to at least put some effort into reaching out before you venture anywhere. But, I mean, I'll, there's just there's also so many, such an abundance of roads out there that places like Italy, there are roads that just have been by and large unskated and people just, you know, I guess they lose track of all the spots there. It's not as safeguarded as, you know, some other parts of the world. Is that the goal, is it to find unskated hills, or is it to just find hills you've seen on videos? Um, it's a little bit of everything, just whatever looks good, you know. Um, I'll take locals' words for, word for it in terms of what we should go check out, and then from there, I do really like finding roads that, I mean, in most cases, there's a good chance somebody's skated, whatever you're coming across. Um, I don't think that often you really come across completely unskated roads, but, I mean, it is interesting to just come up to something and have no idea really what it is until you skate it and then just kind of figure it out yourself without having, having any you know, reference point, whereas at other spots that you find in it from you know a video, and you might at least have some semblance of an idea of what to expect in that run or if you know a local shows you around then you're following their lines so I don't know it's interesting to navigate new terrain Is there a procedure when you find a new hill like you drive it first would you only skate it early in the morning like um we're not nearly as diligent as a lot of people are about that um I mean we definitely at least drive runs to see what it they are before we we drop them like 99% of the time but um, we don't really do much beyond that we just kind of do a cautious run we, we aim for you know, in Europe particularly we, we aimed for primarily dawn patrol and evening sessions unless you know the conditions of the road suggested otherwise so you know if there was a trap like a, a really low traffic road you know, throughout the day then we might stay there and take a few more laps just winging it for the most part. And does everyone get to skate it, or is there some sort of order? Because you'd only get a certain amount of runs in, or would the crew's small enough that everyone gets a run? Um, I mean, there were enough of us that, um, you know, that major chances of getting to skate every run be high. But it, it just kind of ended... Usually somebody would offer, they just whether they just didn't feel like you know taking a not blind drop, but I guess a first descent, or if you know sometimes it'd be a little bit of bickering until <laughs> somebody decided to drive. I, I I drove most of the time in between spots because um, most of our drivers couldn't drive a manual, so I pulled that card pretty often and usually got to skate the you know first run anywhere, but. Uh, in a way, it's luck of the draw. Is it is it important to have a manual car when doing follow runs? Um, I prefer it. Um, 
lot of people seem to prefer it. I don't think it's necessary by any means, but it is nice to, I don't know, have a little bit more control over the throttle, um, which is, a little, is, I don't know, helpful when you're trying to finesse distance between yourself and the rider, but I guess it's personal preference. Some people prefer automatics, even if they're, you know, adept at a, at a manual. So does that mean if you've got a manual, there's only a few people that can do the follow run? Yeah, I mean, in the case of uh, of our situation, we had, you know, we had a van and we had a small car and both were manual. So it pretty much boiled down to two of us were able to do follow runs. I drove all of the ones pretty much except for anything where I was being filmed and then like a couple other ones uh, Caden drove. But yeah, it, it was a little bit limiting, but I mean, I'm the one who's, you know, filming, so in most cases I should be the one doing the follow run anyway because I'm the one, you know, getting all the footage and doing something with it. I might so, as well do the work. So you you direct and film? I mean, I wouldn't say direct. Because, I mean, I'm kind of just, I'm just kind of filming things. I'm not really, like, directing what's happening in front of me. Um which is, I guess, part laziness, part just I don't really want to interfere with the trip and, like, stop people from what they're doing and say, you know, stand over here while I get this cool shot or, like, you know, interview people and stuff. So, yeah, I just kind of filled things and put it together. <laughs> but, but during the trip, you'd sort of have a mental note of what good footage you would have of certain skaters and sort of try and... Yeah, definitely. Um... Like, in the case of this last video, I tried to just, like, um, I mean, at the end of the day, it was just, you know, a trip with the boys, so I was just trying to get everybody who came clips that they'd be hyped on and um, kind of just took turns with who I was filming accordingly uh, until basically everybody had at least two follow runs. So, yeah, um, but I mean, from there, you know, I just kind of, Sorry, you just dropped. Maybe. You just dropped out. Say that again. Oh yeah. Um, you know, sometimes if there was a certain road that really lended itself well to somebody's style, and I thought that, that would be interesting to capture, then I'd you know specifically film them on that run. But mostly, just tried to keep it fair. Are there like local laws or anything that you have to be wary of, or anything that's different from America to Europe with? Those type of uh, that type of filming. Um, I mean, they're a lot more um, strict about speed limits there. Like speed cameras are incredibly abundant in in the EU compared to the states over here. It's more of you know a matter of chance if you get you know, caught by an actual police officer. So I mean, if you're skating a run that happens to have a, a speed camera on it and I guess you have to worry about that but I don't know of any laws that specifically prohibit anything that we do other than reckless driving which it argu arguably would be um, in some situations so uh, but yeah there's nothing that I I don't know of any kind of rule book to follow for keeping it safe I mean, skaters love your videos do you ever get any blowback from the from the industry or brands? 
Like, in terms of what? In terms of uh, dangerous follow runs, you're promoting something that, you know, not everyone can do. Um, I've never, you know, had anything directed at me, really. I mean, I guess there would be, like, a snide comment every now and then. Usually, it's about somebody chopping lane or something. It's not really about follow filming. Um, seems like most of the controversy around that kind of died off, you know, a few years ago. And I don't... I'm not one of the people who... I don't know. I try to keep my, my follow filming a little bit uh, discreet. Like, I'm not trying to draw attention to it by getting really close to a rider and then pulling off or, you know, any of these things that kind of on one hand can be a little bit more dynamic, but on the other hand can be distracting and of course dangerous if you're trying to get you know, within a couple inches of a rider over and over again and back off. So um, I think things like that tend to draw a little bit more criticism than, you know, I don't, I don't film that too close, I think, but yeah. There is an art to it, though, isn't there? We did a follow run at Newton's, and it the video wasn't as... Oh, I, I suppose it wasn't as close as we thought it was going to be, so there's definitely an art to it, isn't there? I mean, there's, you know, some semblance of it, I guess, like, in terms of, you know, what angle, I guess, you want the camera at, um, whether you want, yeah, the camera to be just like a yeah discrete presence again like I said like whether you want it to be consistent or you know in and out like that's kind of a stylistic choice that you know is up to whoever's filming but I mean at the end of the day there's only so much you can do beyond you know trying to be close with a wide angle lens that makes it look fast it's just there's not a ton of nuance to it at least I don't think so what about skater following car? Have you ever tried doing any of that filming? Oh, where the skater's behind the car? Yeah. That just gives me way too much anxiety. That's just kind of like, I mean, you know, maybe on like a hill that you're really familiar with, I'd never do that somewhere remotely new or, you know, high traffic. I don't, I don't know if I'd ever, I've done it like, I did it years ago, you know, with like a telephoto and somebody sitting in the trunk. And I think we did it on like a few mellow straight run where we would just tuck behind the car and um, you know try to stay close to the camera but it's I mean some people pulled it off surprisingly well um, especially if they're not using a wide angle like there's an old James Kelly video that does it really well among others especially if you have a crane or something yeah was that the red but, video no Um, I think well, maybe Loaded did the red video oh it was a fisheye yeah, I know what you're talking about. Where they had that Porsche with the the big old crane and uh, yeah, I think it was a red. Yeah, um, yeah, that one was incredible. Um, that requires a lot of skill on drivers' part. You know, the the camera operators' part, the skaters. It's just um, that was also a very controlled environment. You know, that was I think on Tuna um, for the most part. Maybe a little bit of one of the other runs out there, but. Um, yeah, it's just something that you need a lot of planning and, and skill and, you know, a decent few people involved to pull off well. Yeah, it can be incredibly dangerous. And it limits the skater, too. Um, I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of different, you know, filming techniques can limit the skater in terms of what they can do to navigate around the camera. But um, 
that compared to like a normal follow run where you're not really interfering at all. Um, it does yeah, present some obstacle for the rider if they're trying to maximize, you know, their skill shown on screen. Yeah, one year at Newton's, we had a local photographer, Pangy, and he wanted to do a follow. So the the skaters follow him down. He was going to strap himself on, or he strapped himself onto a motorcycle to get like that uh, shot of the riders coming down the hill and the riders I, I suppose the problem was as we had the motorbike then we actually had packed riding so there was that unpredictability of someone going too fast but anyway Steve Dado <laughs> ended up doing somersaults he crashed it was the gnarliest crash I've ever seen oh, wow. but yeah that's he walked away yeah he actually he's he lost his helmet during the crash Jesus so, fine. Yeah, but I mean, he's a stunt. He he is a professional yeah, stunt true. stuntman, so he knows how to how to crash. But he did make a big entrance to the uh, riders' camp that night, dressed in his hospital gown. So, <laughs> <I bet. laughs> and yeah, that's that's a lot. You know, full pack and everything. Yeah. So. People, uh, skaters, or the people that are interested are going to kill me if I don't ask you. So how do you set up your camera on your car? Are we allowed to um, give away those secrets? Are there, I mean, are there any film many... secrets? Do you have film secrets? No, I, I mean, I don't think there's really... I certainly don't do anything... Um, I, I think, I mean, really for like a follow run, um, you know, where you mount camera is really up to you as long as you can't like see the hood i don't know it's just kind of personal preference uh i usually just put it on the hood because it's easiest and i like you know you can i like the camera a little bit higher up so you can you know see the environment Mm. that you know see the scenery that's usually prevalent and you know a decent run but for camera settings it's just like you know low shutter speed so uh you, know, you probably want to shoot at 24 frames a second, which is, you know, the cinema standard and um, also you know, maximizes motion blur rather than, like, a higher frame rate. And then, yeah, sh- set your shutter speed to twice that or above, so that'd be, like, 1 50th of a second. Um, maybe go, you know, a couple notches above that if you want it to be... Make sure it's, you know, sharp video, especially if you have... Might have some camera shake that you need to stabilize later. Then... Um, depending on your camera, you may or not may not want to, you know, have auto ISO enabled. So, like on one of my older cameras, the auto ISO was super slow. It wouldn't, you know, take a second to adjust the brightness to compensate for a shadow or whatever it might be. And so, I would I'd keep it fixed and just try and eyeball it as best as I could. But now that I have a camera that can adapt faster, I prefer auto ISO because then whether you're going in and out of shadows or a tunnel or whatever it is, you can still see what's going on. And um, I guess that's pretty much it. Keep a, a high aperture if, if you can. Um, it keeps, you know, depth-wise more of the image sharp, and it's more forgiving in terms of keeping the rider in focus if they're far away. But um, that's just how I set it up. Nothing really special. It seems to be kind of along the lines of what most people do now. What sort of lens do you use? Um, so right now I'm 
I have a 14 millimeter Rokinon wide angle for follow runs, and I just it's on a full frame Sony camera E mount. Um, yeah. And the, you, sorry, go ahead. How do you put it on the the bonnet? You use a a tripod and then strap the tripod down, or are you like sticking something on the bonnet? I just have uh, a single suction cup, you know, mount that's designed for it. It's got the little pump button that, you know, it has a little red stripe on the button. So, like, you pump it until the button, I guess, hides that red stripe and does whether or not you have suction. So, if you see that red stripe pop out on it, you know that it's not secure and the camera might fall off. Um, it's not as versatile as some of – I've seen some people, you know, use a series of smaller cups. I know Matt likes to do that out in Nashville. So you can get the camera more you know, on the bumper or just generally lower. My mount kind of this one large suction cup. Far as the surface area, like hood, pretty much just leaves me with that choice, which in my case is fine. But big single cup ones are really stable. It's a little bit harder to, you know, get a stable mount with multiple ones and a bunch of like attachment arms and shit. But for this, like last year's Euro Tour. I had a really terrible cheap plastic suction mount. It was like the, the, I think it's called Fat Gecko is the brand. And a lot of people have these, but, you know, they tend to be really shaky. And it was funny because to stabilize the, um, the camera, like I essentially had, you know, a separate stabilization arm that mounted towards the top of the camera and in addition to the bottom suction cups, which prevents camera shake and, um, I know, like most people or a lot of people like uh, Tom Flinchbaugh I know has like a, a crazy three arm metal professional kit for that but um, being cheap I just I made like kind of a Home Depot alternative and uh, since I couldn't fit the metal bar in my bag to go to Europe I just at the first pass we stopped at I like found a, a tree branch <laughs> and uh, just like put that into the little clamping just, arms just whittled it up yeah, I mean, it just, like, it fit right into the little mechanism I'd put together. And, I mean, it worked, you know. Um, people were kind of laughing at it at events and whatnot because <laughs> um, just, you know, big old convoluted camera setup that at the end of the day is, you know, largely held in place by a stick. Uh, but, you know, it got it done. It kept it where it needed to be. Are you... Are you renowned for that, like for MacGyvering up a setup? Um, I don't think so. I think I'm just cheap. Um, I'm, you know, finally invested in a better mount, but I don't really usually tend to build camera equipment with sticks. Did I see on one of your videos, was it done on purpose that it was really shaky or was that a just like the end of a mount or a poor mount? Like would you have a shaky follow cam? to create like a, like an atmosphere? Uh, it's a combination of both. So like it tends to, I mean, it happens inadvertently. I don't, I don't try to have camera shake, but it almost always happens. And um, you can, you know, if it's a subtle enough shake, you can re- remove it pretty effectively by stabilizing it in post. But um, yeah, I just, if it, I don't know. There's like a an added level of, you know, sort of intensity, I guess, if there's a little bit of shake and it just feels a little bit more authentic and immersive if there's some semblance of shake in the footage. 
but too much much and it gets distracting, especially like on a on a large screen. But um, I prefer having you know just a little bit. Sorry. Kind of feel like the camera isn't you know a floating omniscient presence presence so much as I don't know it's part of what the skater's doing. Have you used that new GoPro that's got the like the software stabilization built in? No, I would really like to. I'm still on like a, a GoPro four and it's getting about time for me to upgrade, but um you know, soon enough I suppose. So speaking to a few uh skaters in preparation for this, they all mention the uh your exposed videos. Do you find that maybe skaters love those videos more than your other ones? Oh yeah, um, I, I mean it's it's pretty clear. Like they're they're much more popular and they are more fun to watch and like um, in the scheme of things, probably more unique than like the you know, fucking serious boy edits that I put on the Red Dirt channel. Um, they're just yeah, maybe more character to. A little exposed video, which videos, which is it's surprising, you know, because um, it, it started out as like just something I did, shits and giggles on the side, and um, a couple clickbait titles later, and um, people seem to enjoy them. It's cool. Because sometimes I watch those videos and think, are they being shared, and it's something that maybe mainstream people, people that aren't into the sport, like get into that non-seriousness or I suppose that edge that you're you're pushing on some of those videos? I mean, random people definitely do stumble upon them um, and they're arguably, like, I think they're more entertaining to, like, somebody who's not into the downhill world than, like, my other videos are because, you know, there's just, I don't know, funny shenanigans going on in these, like, people are eating shit left and right and just doing stupid stuff on the road. <laughs> And like whether or not you really know what's going on within the context of the sport, like it's still kind of funny to watch. You know, people just being stupid. <laughs> if something stupid happens now, do, is it just like everyone just goes, "Oh, that's going on the second channel"? I mean, if if it's like friends of mine, then yeah. Like if if they know, then um, yeah, it's kind of assumed. And like you know, sometimes people see my GoPro on and like intentionally stuff knowing that probably going to be in it um, which is you know funny too I haven't gone through all the exposed videos but is there European footage in there as well or is it just like local stuff um, it's everything yeah um, everything. including Europe it's, just, it's primarily uh, GoPro clips that I just you know stack over time and then like Anything else that I wouldn't put in like a quote unquote normal video, then I'll just drop it on in the timeline. And the longboarding is dead description? <laughs> <laughs> that got a bit of attention. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it was just, you know, the industry's not doing so hot, and I thought it would be a. A sort of relevant little little caption. I just I don't know. It's kind of just a you know, shit post title, shit post um, description. Yeah, that's dead man. I don't know. 
was there anything deeper than that? I mean, do you does that does that affect you? Do you think, or your the people that you skate with, that the industry maybe step back a little bit or is shrinking a bit? I mean, affecting all of us to some extent. Um, I'm not like I was never, you know, getting money from it like a lot of people were. So I'm not really super bummed on like the decline of the industry. Like I'm still skating with my friends. It hasn't really affected me personally too much. Um, but I mean, it's, it's not actually, you know, bad. It's just yeah, um, you know, it's slowed down. And like sports have up, ups and downs like this. It's just um, I think way it often goes where it'll explode for a few and kind of die down but it's sort of a double-edged sword i mean i obviously i sort of have a, a hat in the ring sort of thing because i i commercialize you know parts of my longboarding i sell stuff online and so forth but in some ways it's nice when the industry contracts a little bit because who you meet and who you speak to are sort of like the the real skaters you know the ones that are there for the enjoyment not just to make money yeah there's uh an authenticity to it so to speak and it, it does feel like in a way the the community is more tightly knit than um perhaps in the past but that's also just me becoming more familiar with it too so um kind of hard to say i wasn't really super involved in the scene at the at the height of, you know, the industry. And how, I mean, are you conscious of your big edits? I mean, they're like movies. Do you see them as like a, a movie, like a film? This is, I'm actually making a film? Not really. I mean, you know, end of the day, it's just, it's, it's still making skateboarding videos with with my friends you know like it's um there's not a lot more to it i don't think than that it's i mean there's it's just like comparing it to when you first start out doing this stuff just you know on a camcorder throwing together clips to a song um you know basic idea is still you know largely the same it's still kind of a juvenile overall thing to put together and just uh i mean there's an artistic sense to it but i don't think it's i think film is yeah it's uh word um say that again you just dropped out that last bit word film is just big one um like uh, it seems to encapsulate more than what i think the average skate video brings um, I mean, and, and like if there's like a, I think it kind of requires some sort of narrative to it, you know. Like um, there have been skate videos in the past that had a narrative or like, um, I don't know, more content than just montage editing. Which I don't know if really any video that's just showcasing people doing it well qualifies as something like a film. But that's just me. I don't know. I, I, it's it's just hard to see this is anything of that big of a scale you you are for the european or the, the the preview that i've just watched it does follow that classic skateboarding film sort of narrative of parts that's done on purpose that 
I'm going to divide this film or this video into, you know, the skater's different parts. This is your part. This is another part. Yeah, so to an extent kind of follows that. Um, like, it's not fully divided into, you know, parts per person where in a traditional skateboarding video, each person's part would be, you know, like it'd be a compilation of all their clips in, you know, one three-minute sequence or whatever it is, whereas in this, um, I kind of break it up in that format, but it starts out with, you know, like one raw run, you know, chopped up into like a a mini edit, if you will. And, uh, yeah, it just kind of goes through each rider, and then there's like kind of another round of that, I guess, afterwards, where we revisit each rider. Um, so similar format, not quite where everybody has their own isolated part as its own kind of identity and feel like you might see in yeah, a traditional street video. Do you, do you have any skateboard video influences? Like, are there any videos you grew up watching that you think influenced your filmmaking? Um, growing up, uh, I mostly watched a lot of, like, you know, Baker Death Wish videos, which, from an editing production standpoint, weren't, you know, really impressive or anything. They were, they were funny. Um, if anything, that might have affected the way I put together the exposed videos. But, um, I mean, now a lot of my influence comes from the skateboarding world because there's just such an abundance of good content being put out for it. And I think they do just so much really creative stuff with, um, with skateboarding that, I mean, the formats are, are different, but there's a lot of similarity in what they do and what we do. And yeah, I think there's a lot of, a lot of inspiration to be had from, you know, like, uh, Atlantic Drift is a really good series. Um, PX 1000 does, terrific camera work and then yeah there's others as well but I think street skateboarding arguably has more to offer inspiration wise than um in downhill so that's where you 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 enjoy watching skateboard videos yeah um I kind of got out of it for a number of years but lately I've you know delved more into that world and um yeah it's interesting there's some really clever editors and yeah, videographers out there. Do you see yourself maybe going down the Spike Jones sort of route where you might do sort of more professional music videos and maybe a professional film in the future? Or uh, That would be wonderful. Um, no. Yeah, I mean, Spike Jones, he's, he's sort of like the patron, patron saint of skateboard filmmakers, isn't he? Yeah, um, certainly. Um, just you know, I mean, he, he made the next step up, you know. So that's a uh, that's the dream. I don't really know in what direction, but something along those lines would be cool because I can't linger, you know, making downhill skateboarding videos for forever. It's not solely that. Though Spike Jones does go back and to his roots and create a few. Uh, skateboard videos occasionally yeah he does and I think that's um, that's a great thing to do I don't, I don't know if I could ever completely stop making these these videos because I mean it's just fun to do and um, I mean if you make it up to the big leagues like that but I mean why not bring those skills that you've you've learned doing something at such a bigger scale and bring it back to where you started and see what you can do um, so yeah he said that's a great example for you know what's possible 
Mm. And he did it in small steps as well, so I Yeah. Sometimes I, Yeah, sometimes I feel with his work that he maybe had ideas and then he sort of then used skateboarding and then music videos, so he had like these ideas of films or videos that he wanted to do and he just kept pulling pulling them out as he went. Yeah, I mean, I guess he, he might have just had him, you know, ideas stacking up after a bit, and you just pull a card out whenever you feel like it's ready to appear. Be executed. Uh, are there any downhill skateboarding videos you want to make? I know that when we were making videos for Hopkin, the, the one idea that I had, and we came close to making it, I actually even found a filmmaker that was willing to do it, but... You know those uh, DC, the guy that owns DC, he used to do those rally car videos where he'd like just do skids around things and through buildings. It was like that precision driving. I always thought that would be good to do like a precision downhill skateboarding video. Oh, yeah, that could be really fun. Draw a lot of attention, you know, from mainstream world beyond us. Some of the like the Ken Block kind of videos. Yeah, that's it. That was that were the ones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That'd be a good idea, man. Have you got any idea? Is there anything that you've always wanted to make, or? Um, I've always fancied the idea of just like a basically a documentary about how downhill longboarding evolved to be what it is now. Hmm. Um, which is you know it's a big idea and requires a lot of work. Um, something I don't know if regs, but um, I've written up, you know, like script outlines of how I would just put that together, and it's the biggest idea I've had so far. Not a particularly creative idea, but one that would be kind of good practice if I ever wanted the documentary filmmaking, which was interesting. Industry's kind of reached a point where I don't know you could cover the history up till, up till now, and it would feel like. Largely a complete story, I think. The, I mean, part of the the reason behind uh, this podcast is sort of to document a bit of history as well, especially the racing, just, you know, before people forget what races they were in and the events. I suppose I have that uh, that idea as well of it'd be good to, you know, do a podcast series on... Uh, racing or a part of downhill. Have you ever heard of the Dan Carlin's Hardcore History? His podcast? Yeah, actually. Um, it's Dan's podcast, but I do like him. Yeah. I'd love to do uh, like a podcast like that, you know. This is the year 2008. <laughs> <laughs> and just talk. Add some like dramatization to it. Yeah, just talk for like five six hours about uh down you know just the the downhill scene in 2008 yeah that should be a really good approach for it you could really get into the gritty details of it and i mean bringing the right guests on to reminisce about you know certain races or you know big events in, in the past would be really interesting mm. i actually uh sponsored I don't know if many people know, but I actually sponsored Scoot, 
the year he did his uh, world championship run for the IGSA World Tour. Well, probably, wow. probably his biggest sponsor. And part of that was I wanted Scoot to send me an email after every race about what happened. I'd, I've never shared them before, but he he actually diligently sent me a, an email after each race telling me what actually happened. That's Man, you were really there for an interesting time. Like that was, that was before me, you know, like... I have a rough idea of, of who the key players at the time were, but um, yeah, that's all, all beyond me. That's really cool, man. Like, you got to uh, be a part of some really formative parts of, I guess, the racing. Yeah. I think one day I might get Scoot to read the emails out to me. I'll do a podcast on it. Oh, yeah, like a, a recounting. Kinda. Yeah. I might just say, oh, this is my best Scoot voice, and just get Scoot to say it. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, but there's so much history in downhill. Like, just uh, I'm just editing up uh, Everin's uh, podcast I did with Everin Ozen. Oh, no way. And, and some of the people he mentions, and I've gone back to find the videos, just these, you know, videos in 2002 of Chappet in the desert, you know. It's some of the the history. It is amazing. You just think like, oh, like for me, you know, downhill racing started in like, you know, two thousand and eight at Newtons, but it'd been going on for like twenty years before that. Yeah, it really had. It's, I mean, it, it all feels so new. Um, yeah. and in a way, it is because of how how fast it's advanced in a very short period of time. But I mean, um, no, people have been doing it for quite a while. It looked very different um, back then, though. Dane, in some ways, that it's even the same sport. Have you seen that Red Bull documentary on um, uh, that hill, Signal Hill? I haven't. Yeah, that's really worth watching. That is yeah, ins- that is insane. The because you sometimes you see the 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 footage of like you know, when downhill was in the X Games, and it feels like a little bit, not kooky, but it does feel a bit kooky, you know, like everyone's saying, oh, he's going so fast, but it doesn't really look like they're going that fast, and it it just seems, it was sort of like the start, but when you see the the Signal Hill videos, the speed, it just looks dangerous. <laughs> Some of the crashes were insane as well, so. Yeah, it was just, I guess, way it's portrayed goes a long way in conveying that level of intensity yeah you know the camera angles and stuff like that can really you know be part of what gets people yeah know, yeah i suppose it, something like that yeah could be because I, I know a lot of that x games was obviously made for television and they had their certain signal a uh, certain angles and so forth that they you know standard edits but i mean and part of it i guess is also just uh, back then, uh, the form wasn't quite developed yet. You know, people were still figuring out what the best way to get down a hill was. Mm. We still are. Say this video that you're doing at the moment, like the the European edit, it's going to be 40, 50 minutes long, probably by the time you finish it. How long does an edit like that take? Um, it takes a very long time to put together 
Um, I mean, yeah, I, don't, I should really count like the hours that I that I put into these. You know, maybe I wouldn't even like to know how many hours I put into some of these, but um, that one took quite a while, or is still taking a while, but most of it's put together now, I guess. But um, I mean, a lot of it's just you know hunting down clips that I want to use and going through and watching everything that I filmed, getting to end. So what's the um, pro- what's the process? You've got all your you've got all your SD cards. Do you upload them to an external drive, or do you up- import them into your computer? How does that work? I mean, I'll just store them on. Like, I've got different drives, you know, for different years or like different content, um, and I kind of cycle it to where like the like for every year I'll like it on my main hard drive on my computer and then I'll you know copy it over to like a backup at the end of the year and free that hard drive back up again but I mean I just kind of like I'll, I'll just dump footage you know in a folder named after whatever the event was that I was or like whatever the trip name was so to speak and yeah just kind of organize it from there so you you dump all the footage into a folder then you start up Premiere yeah, I use Premiere. Just, and then you, know. you import it all into, or you can actually, I haven't used Premiere, but you can actually see that folder, or do you have to import it into Premiere and then you you start pulling it onto your timeline? Is that how you do it? Yeah, you just, you can either import a folder with all your clips in it for, like, and like name that folder and, you know, organizing it accordingly, or you can just, there's like a, there's a file browser in Premiere that you can just, like, open that folder up and it'll just show you all the clips available and you just yeah, drag them to the timeline from there. So do you start by getting rid of everything that you want or do you start by saying, okay, I'm going to do this skater, so let me find up find all his clips? Uh, it kind of just depends. I mean, for like, for like this video or, you know, any, I guess, serious video, it, it kind of just like, Depends on whatever I feel like editing at the moment. So, like, if I have a, a, a good idea of what I want something to look like, or if I have a song that I think matches a certain run, and I'm like excited to put that together, then I'll just jump to whatever that is, and I just kind of work work from there. Usually, just starting with the ones that seem clear or obvious as to what song should go where, like how each you know run should be edited, and then kind of fill in the gap with stuff that takes a little bit more thought. But like for you know. The exposed videos, it's literally just, I mean, it, my workflow is, like, horrendous. But I don't really know. I can't think of a better way for it. I just watch every single GoPro clip that I film beginning to end, and if I find, like, a couple seconds of something interesting, I just drop it in the timeline. I basically just drop things in the timeline until I have a timeline of, like, a thousand clips or whatever, and then I just slowly drop them almost at random and that takes forever but um, that's pretty much it I was talking to Jacko yesterday and we were like uh, reminiscing about tape videos that you know shooting to tape and he was saying that it sort of had its advantages because to get it onto his computer he would actually one to one have to play the tape to put it on the computer so he'd watch it as he'd go and make notes so like just getting it into the computer he had sort of a overall view of like uh, all the video that he had shot 
Yeah, no, that's... I, I remember having, like, a, a home camera that worked that way, which was tedious and frustrating at the time. But, yeah, it does kind of makes you watch through it all. Because, like, you're already going to have to wait for it anyway. I might as well sit there and watch it <laughs> yes. you know, second by second. Because, like, a lot of people, you know, what you'll end up doing is you, you don't feel like doing that normally. So we'll just kind of guess for the most part or like you know go from memory in terms of what clips or what parts of what clips are interesting and then you, you skip over a lot of the good stuff that you know falls between the cracks that you know you would have had to watch every second of it to find have you got any video footage anywhere that no one's seen that's really good like something that you're going to go back and edit up at another time uh, not really like I generally tend to just kind of jump into editing stuff because I, I have like a weird, uh, there's like no actual deadline to meet or anything. I just feel I need to get it done. So it's hard for me to just like let something sit for too long without at least, you know, messing with it for a while. And how much post-production do you do on your videos? Like, do you have, uh, Know, certain treatments that you do to your videos? Um, I mean, there's like, you know, standard like color correction and, you know, adjusting audio levels and like stuff like that, I guess, in terms of um, getting it to look somewhat, you know, high fidelity or professional or whatever. Um, I mean, most of what I do is kind of achieved in post-production. I'm not, I'm not a particularly talented, you know, cameraman or anything. So I, I make most of it interesting just in the way I edit it, I guess. But, uh, I don't know. Pretty, pretty standard, I guess, post-production procedures. Just make sure nothing's outrageously loud or quiet or, um, dark or light color wise or, I don't know. I've been messing with uh, DaVinci Resolve lately, which is a a color grading platform, Uh also an editor, but um, a lot more powerful than, you know, like the built-in tools for Premiere or something like that. So this is the first video I've actually gone through every shot and, like, color graded it in a different platform and then we imported it back into the timeline and then done it all that way. Whereas in the past, it'd be like... You know, I'd spend 15 minutes or something on, like, some kind of color grade within Premiere and just copy and paste it everywhere. Um, here, I put a little more thought and effort into it. Yeah, I was still, Dan Pape has, uh, he's getting into that program, and uh, he was just telling me about it. So why the change? Um, I just, DaVinci Resolve is free as long as you're rendering... Um, in 1080p or lower which like everything I do is filmed in 1080p so that's fine and so I thought I'd give it a try because I knew it was you know a more powerful color pool than what I had so I could do some funky stuff with with the colors on screen or like you can um, compensate more for like dark footage or you know anything where something is wrong color wise with the footage you can compensate for it a lot better in the resolve and also, like I guess for this video, I shot it all in a a log grade, like or a log formatted shooting mode, which means like 
essentially when you shoot footage, it looks really low contrast and awful at first. But when you put it through, like, you know, like a somewhat decent color grading process, then, like, it ends up looking way better than it would have before. But, to, you know, really get that right, I needed to go, I guess, one step one step up color tool-wise, which I'm still fairly novice at it, but even so, I can do a, a lot more, much more easily than, than I ever could before. Do you, Free, think, so. do you think it's increased the film quality, the color quality? I think so. Uh, I was able to do some cool stuff in this one color-wise that I couldn't have done before. And I mean, whether or not there's an actual point to it besides it just looking cool, um, what I think the- it just makes... What were those color things that you've done? Can you say, or do you want to wait till I the mean, video comes out? I mean, it's kind of hard to explain some of it, but I mean, you can just get a little bit more creative, like where I can adjust the hue of like just the sky and like make the sky more yellow or blue than it originally was, or you know, I can isolate certain colors and bring them out more. Um, I can, you know, do stuff like make the shadows have a really low saturation of color like the highlights can have a really high saturation of color so um, you know various little tricks like that come together to form looks you know color looks that are I guess sometimes unidentifiable like you might just recognize it as like oh that looks like a, a movie made in like you know 2018 because it's got a really orange and blue kind of mm. palette to it. Um, so yeah just kind of little colorful gimmicks like that that make it a little bit more interesting to watch the footage. And do you think the color has influenced your choice of music? Because you've used a bit of classical music in this next one, haven't you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't say that the, the color kind of comes after like the edit's already put together. So like, generally I'll, I'll see a run and I'll, you know, I'll know how the music might go to it and then I'll, I'll basically finish that and when when like a rough cut is basically in place, then I'll match the color to, yeah, like whatever the scenery suggests, and you know, sometimes it's incorporate I guess the music as well. Or in this one, I kind of incorporated like the personality of the rider a little bit too, in terms of you know the vibrance of a or like the palette used in any given color, because like each each rider in this one kind of has like to an extent their own color correction look in like most of their shots. Okay. Is that based on the rider or is that based on the location? It's based on the rider. So, like, you know, in this video, pretty much everybody has, like, a couple runs and both of their runs usually kind of match. Um, yeah, just depending on who they are. Do you think you'll keep that colour coding for future videos? Um... I don't know. I guess it just depends. It's not something I'm going to, like, stick to, absolutely. Um, but um, I imagine it'll something I'll incorporate in the future, to some extent, at least. And why 1080p? Why not 4K? Is it just, like, a camera thing, or...? Um, the camera, like, I, I can't shoot in 4K without an external monitor. So I have, like, the first-generation Sony A7S, which um, that was one of its, you know, few limitations was you can only shoot in 4K if you, yeah, have, like, a whole separate, you know, 
monitor, like a small computer, essentially, they can process and, um, you know, write the 4K footage to a card. But, I mean, now, like, the newer versions of that camera can do it. But, I mean, I I don't really need 4K. It'd be nice in some situations if I wanted to crop a shot a little bit, particularly for stabilization. And, like, I wouldn't lose any sharpness by doing that, um, which I often have to do that because... I have a lot of shaky footage because I'm carrying a camera around, like, usually without a stabilizer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to have, but it's not detrimental to anything I've done so far, so I just keep doing 1080p. But uh, one trick, little-known trick um, for YouTube is... Like, a lot of people think my footage, I guess, is shot in 4K, but it's not, because if you watch it on YouTube, like, the playing settings, like, show 4K. Yeah. The reason for that is because apparently YouTube, um, it, what do you call it, it doesn't process 1080p, like, a very high rate, like, it condenses it a lot more if it notices the video dimensions you're uploading or... You know, 1920 by 1080. So, if you you know export a 1080p video in 4K dimensions, you, it'll trick YouTube into thinking it's 4K video, therefore allowing a higher bitrate and still ending up in like a higher quality than if you had just uploaded it in 1080p in the first place. Ah. Um, which does that affect? Yeah, interesting. Does it affect what? Sorry? Does that affect the 1080p resolution? No. Uh, no. It, um, I mean, it just looks better, I guess, if for whatever reason you mm. enable 4K on YouTube and trick it into it. It might have changed, um, like, as of late, but last I checked, that's how it was. And do you change your gear often? Like, like uh, how often would you get new lenses, new cameras, all that sort of stuff? Uh, not often at all. I have I've only bought one lens in like the past I don't know two years. I bought my camera about three years ago. Um, I don't change it that much. Again, I guess equipment-wise, I'm generally pretty cheap. I, I splurged on that camera body, but beyond that, I'm keeping it pretty basic. Although I'd like to get a telephoto lens, you know, near future. But yeah, I don't go mess with equipment too much. Why would you want a telephoto lens? Um, the only like I think it'd be fun to kind of you know dabble in some like not corner shots because I don't know generally I'm I'm not big on stationary you know filming of, of downhill unless you're doing something like really interesting with it but um, I, I've always liked those shots where uh, like tracking shots essentially from really far away with, like, a, a great zoom lens. Like, especially in, like, a canyon road where you can get some good vantage points and, like, you you follow the rider kind of through the woods, like, from the side or whatever it is or around a few corners. There's a lot of shots like that in uh, Second Nature, that 2010-2011 video from Sector 9. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. I always thought those looked cool and it'd be, it'd be fun to kind of dabble in that and post up in some... I'm trying to find the best vantage point the spots I'm already familiar with. When I think of Arkansas, I just think of wooded, like hills. That's not 
yeah. what you have in Arkansas. Accurate. So you're thinking about doing some more desert filming or? It's not like so densely wooded here that there aren't, you know, like you can see through the trees, particularly in the winter. Um, Often, and like, you know, around corners and stuff like there's places that you can post up and like get a good angle. Um, I mean, it is harder than, you know, some places, but um, I mean, yeah, in the winter, it's perfectly fine, but in the summer, probably not super doable. Do you skate in the winter? Yeah, you can skate all year round here. I mean, it gets fairly cold, but we only get a few snow days a year, so um, pretty much all year is good. Does it affect, like, the urethane on on the road, like if it's really cold? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, you know, grippier in the colds than when it's hot. And your wheels last a little bit longer, but... Are there events where you are? Uh, not really. I mean, like, little outlaws, but, you know, nothing that, like, beckons people forth from other parts of the country, really. We tried, but um not go so well last year, so... Was that, like, just attendance? <laughs> no, um... It's or kind you of... can't say. <laughs> but it, was, it was, like... You didn't have a helicopter crash, did you? No, it was nothing that <laughs> catastrophic. Um, I, I wish we almost made it that far, but no, it was just we thought we had permission to, you know, host an event at this hill. We had done it the year before, like we had talked to the, the local city police and everything, but like we didn't have the actual, you know, paperwork. Like it wasn't officially a sanctioned event, you know. It was like a, a pseudo-sanctioned event in which, like, legally we were allowed to be there, but. There wasn't like a permit, you know, an event permit or anything. But this is like, this is a road that's, bored, like, it's almost locally owned, you know, like only the residents really have any stake in what happens there. But at any rate, uh, I guess the, the local sheriff got wind of, of what was happening and he personally didn't like it. And uh, him and the county judge, I guess, had supreme authority over the matter. So, uh, regardless of what the rest of the police department thought, they, uh, they shut us down immediately, at which point we we went to, like, another road um, that was still very fun to race, but, I mean, it wasn't what we had originally planned and, like, obviously left a sour taste in people's mouth who, you know, had traveled from places to come for what they thought was, you know, a sanctioned event. So, you know, there, we might make something happen in the future, but that was our last venture into that world and, and pretty much our first, so, you know... Um, do it a little bit more yeah. a little bit more better next time well any event can get sank it can get shut down I mean we've had here we've been lucky on some outlaws where the police have turned up and have actually blocked the road like with their police cars to allow us to finish the race and in Newton's 2017 uh, there was the council and the government and they all had a meeting on the mountain with me to shut us down even though we had a sanctioned event and we were allowed to close the road the you know the count the government at their at their you know if they're not happy with what's going on they can shut you down yeah it's it's weird how that that line gets drawn sometimes yeah Um, but i don't know maybe Event hosting is just 
is beyond me. It takes a lot of a lot of planning, a lot of effort. God. Yeah. It's uh I don't know how those event organizers can organize an event and skate. It it's uh that that one amazes me. Yeah, it's it's impressive. I've got a lot of respect for, for the dudes who make these big events happen. Yeah, I think sometimes a big event is just as hard to or just as easy to organize as a small event. It's you know just seems to be more zeros on the end of the numbers and just more people. Yeah, I guess that's true. So do you what what is the local laws with downhill on roads in where you live? Are you allowed to uh, downhill on the roads? Do you get much police attention? Uh, almost all of our spots, like, they don't really give a shit what we do. Um, like, Judy, which is our, you know, our classic run, like, our equivalent of what Tuna might be or Elk for, you know, North Carolina or any of those iconic roads. Um, we're there, you know, all the time. And you know, every now and then, like, cops will get called by some flustered person, um, often justified because... You know, sketchy shit does happen there. Like people fly off the road, or, or whatever. It just it just tends to happen. Mm. And uh, yeah, like cops will show up, and like might show up. They're just gonna like say hi and leave, kind of out of obligation almost to be there. But it looks like you know maybe be careful. But um, about the extent to which they really punish us. I mean, every now and then they'll get annoyed if we like. There are a couple towns that if you skate down like a one of the highways into city limits. Like once you reach city limits, then apparently they can like fine you, I guess for um, skating in the roadway, but like nine out of 10 spots here. It's not really going to be an issue. And what were those names? You have names for some of your runs? Um, yeah. I mean, Judy is the only really like semi well-known one. Duty, um, as in D-U-T-Y. Duty, like uh, spelled J-U-D-E-A, but like pronounced like J-U-D-Y. Oh, okay. Um, What's it called, though? Yeah, it's, uh, that's the name of the mountain. Is oh, Mount okay. Judea or Mount Judy, and there's just a, like a seven-hair pen run that goes down it. Yeah, nice. Is there a tradition of naming... Names there is, and in Australia they tend to name runs not after the mountain, but they tend to, you know, things that reminds them of them. Like, you know, we have one in the south of Sydney called uh, Seven Pins. Yeah, like, you know, just, I guess, nicknames, not the way, locations and whatnot. I mean, here it's gotten to where, like, we don't really... We're not really worried about it anymore because there's just so few of us. It's not like there's or like rabid groms out there trying to find these hills and like you know go blow them. Um, but I mean, we've got you know a combination of like nicknamed hills that you know have whatever explanation behind them, and then some of them we literally just like refer to it by the highway number. <laughs> <laughs> so it just kind of varies. Some of them, I guess, just never really developed a nickname and. Or it might have, but it just... I don't know if that's ever happened where, like, somebody tried to make a nickname for a spot happen and it just 
nobody, I guess, was subconsciously down with it. <laughs> so it never really, you know, came to be. Are you, are you conscious of not naming hills in your videos? Like, I suppose also in Europe, uh, you know, the mountains that you skate? I mean, I try to be. Like, I'm not... Uh, I'll, I'll try to, you know, not anything that's going to give away a location I, I try to be vague and um in the case of like this video there are a few moments where like a, you know there's a highway sign that you pass in the video that i'm gonna have to like for the final version before i upload it i gotta go back and like blur out those signs so that it doesn't you know give away the spot which like i don't know i if it was me i wouldn't be that worried about it i guess these days i just don't as much but um because and there's also so many fucking roads out in Europe like and anybody can find them really but yeah I guess might as well not be the guy to like give away a specific spot if they see that video and really go hunting for it are there any hills mountains that are on your bucket list do you, that you haven't skated um not many left really uh I've checked a few off recently but i mean really like i'd like to go to canary island and like oh, yeah. columbia um but i mean i guess of those two like you know there's anaconda is like the one iconic one hmm. in in the canary island but i mean pretty much just all of the roads out there and then you know i know columbia's got like that pablo escobar driveway or whatever it is um but beyond that, both of them just have, you know, an overabundance of spots that I'd like to go to. I can't really think of anything else beyond those, though. Are there any unskatable hills where you are? I mean, in terms of bad pavement, like where you wouldn't want to skate it. No, no, just too steep or, or too busy oh, no. or... I don't really know of any unskatable hills anywhere. I mean, there are ones where it's like a bad idea to do it, but... Everything is skatable, I think. At least, like, down, you know, as long as there's pavement. And is speed a thing for you guys? Is that, like, trying to go as fast as you can, or is it more about the mountains? Like, just in general? Well, yeah, like, do you know what the fastest speed you've been at? Do you record stuff like that, or no, that's just not... You're not into it? Uh, I mean, out here, like, we we've got one spot that has like you know a high speed straight away where um i've hit 70 there and that's like the fastest i've done recorded um and we just like would do little you know we just go out there with a speed gun every now and then like if we're going to be skating it we'll just whoever has to drive can get out the speed gun and sit at the bottom and see what you have what your, people reach you have your own speed gun yeah i um i've had one since like really early on when you know like my top speed was like 25 or something like when i was still in high school i um i had the speed gun that uh a friend of mine who like he played baseball he gave it to me and um still use it to this day i, I think it's somewhat accurate so uh, it makes it a little bit more fun if you're going to be hitting something that ends in just like a really long straight <laughs> how fast have you been uh 70 flat wow <laughs> yeah, it's, it, and is that there's only a certain hills around there that you could go that fast? Um, there's only like 
There's that one, which is the only place I, I know like for sure on a speed gun I've you know, hit 70. Uh, there's one other hill here that, or near here, that I think you can. But, I mean, you know, it's for like a second. It's not, you know, an extended speed like that. We've been talking for nearly an hour, over an hour and a half. I suppose we should make some effort to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah. Because I will talk forever. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I tend to go on tangents and just ramble. I'm, I'm do, plenty of. But... Do you have any skate sponsors? Nope. No. So what's what is your setup? What board are you on? Trucks, wheels? Right now I'm on a, a Pantheon... Uh, I don't know what it's called. It's Chase's board. Okay. Uh, I think it, I think it was the Scoot. Like it's got a kick tail now. Um, yeah, I think it's just the Scoot. But yeah, that board and uh, some Rogues chopped to like one hundred and fifty. And are they cast or are they? Another uh, precision. precision. Yep. And the wheels kind of vary. Um, and bushings. Yeah. So do you do you skate on free ride wheels or grippy wheels? It just kind of depends. Um, if I'm trying to free ride, I'll ride some slidey boys, and um, if I'm trying to take some hot laps, I'll put on some some big wheels. I had a phase where I tried to like only skate downhill wheels for like efficiency's sake and consistency's sake, like free ride that too. But after a while, I realized it was a lot of effort. So I just depends situation now. And how do you cut down rogues? Did you do that, or someone did that? No, um, I, I sent it to uh, Rolling Tree, a Midwest based company that I think they do most of like the truck shops out there, um, at least in, in the U.S. Like most people tend to send them there. He does it real quick and does a really professional job. So I just because I it was hard to find used rogues that were like you know, 160s. Hmm. So I just found some 180s and chopped them down. And what do you think about the the whole slalom truck thing that's going on at the moment? Are you into that? I mean, I'm not personally, like, into it. Like, I'm not going to, you know, buy one or skate one, but um, I, I'm i sure they're, you know, probably faster. There's, like, you know, it seems like there's racing advantages to it. I think some people probably get too caught up in that. Like, they haven't quite maximize the potential of a normal board before they just jump into like you know slalom perhaps unnecessarily but I don't know I'm not really like a qualified person to talk about racing <laughs> techniques or anything like that so so why I just kind of leave that to them why 150 trucks why not 180 trucks I rode 180s for like a very long time up until earlier this year and then thought I'd see what this whole narrower truck thing was about. Um, and I like it, so... What do you like about I don't know, it? It's just, there's a little bit more just sharper hookups, you know? Um, actually, it turns out I, I ended up liking it almost more in stand-ups than anything else because it gave me such like a more snappy, defined hookup compared to like riding something like... I was riding 180 K3s um, before this, where like 
hooking up was just like an active, like you, it, there was effort, you know, you know, to hooking up, You're like deliberately pushing your front wheels backwards. Now it just kind of snaps back naturally, and also easier to like stay a little bit more on top of your board. You're less likely to ice out. Do you ever get but, speed, speed wobbles? I mean, I, I still twitch some. It is weird kind of riding rogues compared to what I've rode in the past because I'm used to twitching, like, a lot. And these rogues are, like, more stable than I'm used to, I guess. But still twitch. Probably always will. And what do you do when you twitch? Uh, I don't know. Stop twitching, I guess. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just, just keep going. It usually doesn't really do anything. So, Pantheon. There seems to be a lot of Pantheon boards. Is there is is there a particular brand of gear that, like your friends and you know the riders you're with, do use? Uh, I mean, a lot of people are like all the Missouri boys. Pretty much, I know ride Pantheons. Um, I grew up like, and I grew up, but um, up until like. Very recently, I only rode Bomb Squad boards. Um, that was like you know, the Texas yeah. Texas thing, and I rode for them for a number of years until I stopped making boards. So they um, don't make boards anymore. Correct. Uh, not mm. since like 2015, maybe yeah. early 2016. Yeah, yeah, that was the um, last time we got stock. Yeah. Yeah, um, which is you know, it's a bummer. Uh, I, I miss those those dudes making boards and like being a part of that process, but. Um, luckily, Antheon was making a very similar board to what I wrote before, so I just grabbed one of those. And trucks, do most people use rogues that you skate with, or is it like all over? It's just... It's just all over. Um, there is an abundance of Rojas, though. You know, the, the weird trucks that Chase rides. <laughs> um, he's got a lot of the boys here uh, riding those things, which... He's on an in yeah. incentive, is he? What? He's on an incentive. You know, the more people you can get riding, I'll give you more free sets of trucks or something. Yeah, I don't know. Um, <laughs> if so, he's, I'm sure he's doing well because he's got quite a few people hyped on him. And, I mean, they seem like great trucks. Like, um, I don't ride them, but everybody who, who does seems to swear by them. Yeah. Um, any shout-outs? I think we'll, we'll wrap it up. And is there anything that you wanted to talk about? That we haven't no, talked about? Uh, I think that about covers it. <laughs> I've, done, I've done plenty of rambling. <laughs> do you have any shout-outs? Well, you don't have any sponsors, really, do you? So. Um, no, yeah. I don't really have anybody to shout-out except uh, the Midwest and No-Coast boys, pretty much. That's it. And one last... Because I, 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 I'm going to just keep asking questions, but... Uh, no worries. How, how do you how, so you said the no coast boys so obviously there's there's groups of people how do you communicate like you you guys just communicate through Facebook and so forth yeah primarily I mean it seems like most of international community just is kind of congregated in Facebook especially since you know Silverfish is gone mm-hmm. so you know, yeah. we're pretty much the same way you know Facebook groups group chats whatever and so what's the best way for if you know people want to get in contact with you as in if there's a brand that wants a video made or skaters that are 
visiting Arkansas. Is it Facebook DM? Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm on Instagram too. You know, wherever you can find me. There's not too many Kavon Zamanians out there, so <laughs> pretty pretty easy to track down. Thanks for uh, thanks for the talk today. It was awesome. Yeah, it was fun, man. Good to shoot the shit about all yeah, about yeah. all this. It's fun. It's just interesting, like watching someone's videos for so many years and then getting the opportunity to ask whatever you wanted <laughs> I'm going to finish this and think of like 10 questions I should have asked you oh well you know I'll be around man um, it, it is interesting to like I don't know see that people do watch this you know watch these things I'm putting up and like have some interest in it it's cool to talk about it man like yeah there's uh, I get interesting. I, I get a wide range of people listening to it people that don't do downhill so people uh, a lot of parents of downhillers listen to it um, that's cool yeah and people that's awesome that like oh sorry yeah or just people that listening to it at work or at you know driving around um, so yeah there's a yeah. and I think I just try to I don't know I do try and mix it up well, I part of it is I, I just want to talk to people about different people in the industry and so forth or people in the scene or community. And I just hope there's enough variety that, you know, if you don't like this podcast and the next one you probably will. But I think there's something in it for everyone. I mean, we talk about such a... I mean, this conversation, we talked such a wide range of topics that there's something in there for anyone that's interested in longboarding or downhill yeah yeah hopefully um something here was was interesting i think it's all it's kind of a testament to you know the quality of the podcast if people beyond our community are, are still interested in it and yeah and i um, hope one great, day it's great a sign. Ref- yeah maybe one day it's a reference point you know or yeah hey, that too you never know you might make that uh historical documentary and you know use part of the podcaster's research so you never know yeah right Should go hand in hand <laughs> if you ever if you ever want the, any of the audio it's there just grab it and use it it sounds good man okay that's it it's a wrap that's the end of the podcast thanks for listening and thank you for your your kind words of support. I am very humbled that people listen to this podcast and give me really good feedback. I'm glad you're enjoying it. It's been a project I focused on a little bit this year, towards the end of the year. can't believe the year has ended. There were so many more podcast episodes I wanted to do. I've lined up some awesome ones for the start of the new year. What have we still got to go? There's Jacko. There is... I've spoken to Daniel at Rocket Longboards. That was an interesting interview. And i still got to finish that Jevons interview, don't I? We sort of started... I've got a little bit of audio there, but we need to redo it again. I want to finish that one before the end of the year. I might sneak in a few extras. Like, subscribe, share... All that good stuff. Thanks for listening. Catch you on the next one. Hop out.